Book One, Sections Twenty Nine to Thirty Five of Against Appion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Against Appion by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book One, Sections Twenty Nine to Thirty Five. Now Manetho does not reflect upon the improbability of his lie. For the leprous people, and the multitude that was with them, although they might formerly have been angry at the king, and at those that had treated them so coarsely, and this according to the prediction of the prophet, yet certainly, when they were come out of the mines, and had received of the king a city and a country, they would have grown milder towards him. However, had they ever so much hated him in particular, they might have laid a private plot against himself, but would hardly have made war against all the Egyptians. I mean this on the account of the great kindred they who were so numerous must have had among them. Nay, still, if they had resolved to fight with the men, they would not have had impudence enough to fight with their gods, nor would they have ordained laws quite contrary to those of their own country, and to those in which they had been bred up themselves. Yet are we beholden to Monethe, that he does not lay the principal charge of this horrid transgression upon those that came from Jerusalem, but says that the Egyptians themselves were the most guilty, and that they were their priests that contrived these things, and made the multitude take their oaths for doing so. But still how absurd it is to suppose that none of these people's own relations or friends should be prevailed with to revolt, nor to undergo the hazards of war with them, while these polluted people were forced to send to Jerusalem and bring their auxiliaries from thence. What friendship, I pray, or what relation was there formerly between them that required this assistance? On the contrary, these people were enemies and greatly differed from them in their customs. He says, indeed, that they complied immediately upon their praising them that they should conquer Egypt, as if they did not themselves very well know that country out of which they had been driven by force. Now had these men been in want, or lived miserably, perhaps they might have undertaken so hazardous an enterprise. But as they dwelt in a happy city, and had a large country, and one better than Egypt itself, how came it about that, for the sake of those that had of old been their enemies, of those that were maimed in their bodies, and of those whom none of their own relations would endure, they should run such hazards in assisting them? For they could not foresee that the king would run away from them. On the contrary, he saith himself that, Amenophis's son had three hundred thousand men with him, and met them at Pelusium. Now to be sure, those that came could not be ignorant of this. But for the king's repentance and flight, how could they possibly guess at it? He then says that those who came from Jerusalem and made this invasion got the granaries of Egypt into their possession, and perpetrated many of the most horrid actions there. And thence he reproaches them as though he had not himself introduced them as enemies, or as though he might accuse such as were invited from another place for so doing, when the natural Egyptians themselves had done the same things before their coming, and had taken oaths so to do. However, Amenophis, some time afterward, came upon them and conquered them in battle, 
and slew his enemies and drove them before him as far as Syria. As if Egypt were so easily taken by people that came from any place whatsoever, and as if those that had conquered it by war, when they were informed that Amenophis was alive, did neither fortify the avenues out of Ethiopia into it, although they had great advantages for doing it, nor did get their other forces ready for their defence, but that he followed them over the sandy desert, and slew them as far as Syria, while yet it is not an easy thing for an army to pass over that country, even without fighting. Our nation, therefore, according to Manetho, was not derived from Egypt, nor were any of the Egyptians mingled with us. For it is supposed that many of the leprous and distempered people were dead in the mines, since they had been there a long time, and in so ill a condition. Many others must be dead in the battles that happened afterward, and more still in the last battle and flight after it. It now remains that I debate with Manetho about Moses. Now the Egyptians acknowledge him to have been a wonderful and a divine person. Nay, they would willingly lay claim to him themselves, though after a most abusive and incredible manner, and pretend that he was of Heliopolis, and one of the priests of that place, and was ejected out of it among the rest on account of his leprosy. Although it had been demonstrated out of their records that he lived five hundred and eighteen years earlier, and then brought our forefathers out of Egypt into the country that is now inhabited by us. But how that he was not subject in his body to any such calamity is evident from what he himself tells us, for he forbade those that had the leprosy either to continue in a city or to inhabit in a village, but commanded that they should go about by themselves with their clothes rent, and declares that such as either touch them or live under the same roof with them should be esteemed unclean, Nay, more, if any one of their disease be healed, and he recover his natural constitution again, he appointed them certain purifications, and washings with spring water, and the shaving off all their hair, and enjoins that they shall offer many sacrifices, and those of several kinds, and then at length to be admitted into the holy city. Although it were to be expected that, on the contrary, if he had been under the same calamity, he should have taken care of such persons beforehand, and have had them treated after a kinder manner, as affected with a concern for those that were to be under the like misfortunes with himself. Nor was it only for those leprous people for whose sake he made these laws, but also for such as should be maimed in the smallest part of their body, who yet are not permitted by him to officiate as priests. Nay, although any priest already initiated should have such a calamity fall upon him afterwards, he ordered him to be deprived of his honour of officiating. How can it then be supposed that Moses should ordain such laws against himself, to his own reproach and damage, who so ordained them? Nor indeed is that other notion of Manetho at all probable, wherein he relates the change of his name, and says that he was formerly called Osasif, and this a name no way agreeable to the other while his true name was Moses, and signifies a person who is preserved out of the water, for the Egyptians call water moil. I think, therefore, I have made it sufficiently evident that Manetho, while he followed his ancient records, did not much mistake the truth of the history, but that when he had recourse to fabulous stories without any certain author, he either forged them himself, without any probability, or else gave credit to some men who spake so, out of their ill-will to us. 
and now I have done with Manetho, I will inquire into what Cherimon says. For he also, when he pretended to write the Egyptian history, sets down the same name for this king that Manetho did, Amenophis, as also of his son Ramesses, and then goes on thus. The goddess Isis appeared to Amenophis in his sleep, and blamed him that her temple had been demolished in the war. But that Fritifantes, the sacred scribe, said to him, that in case he would purge Egypt of the men that had pollutions upon them, he should be no longer troubled with such frightful apparitions. That Amenophis accordingly chose out two hundred and fifty thousand of those that were thus diseased, and cast them out of the country. That Moses and Joseph were scribes, and Joseph was a sacred scribe. That their names were Egyptian originally. That of Moses had been Tisithen, and that of Joseph Petaseth that these two came to Pelusium, and lighted upon three hundred and eighty thousand that had been left there by Amenophis, he not being willing to carry them into Egypt, that these scribes made a league of friendship with them, and made with them an expedition against Egypt, that Amenophis could not sustain their attacks, but fled into Ethiopia, and left his wife with child behind him, who lay concealed in certain caverns, and there brought forth a son, whose name was Messini, and who, when he was grown up to man's estate, pursued the Jews into Syria, being about two hundred thousand, and then received his father Amenophis out of Ethiopia. This is the account Cherimon gives us. Now I take it for granted that what I have said already hath plainly proved the falsity of both these narrations, for had there been any real truth at the bottom, it was impossible they should so greatly disagree about the particulars. But for those that invent lies, what they write will easily give us very different accounts, while they forge what they please out of their own heads. Now Manetho says that the king's desire of seeing the gods was the origin of the ejection of the polluted people, but Cherimon feigns that it was a dream of his own sent upon him by Isis that was the occasion of it. Manetho says that the person who foreshadowed this purgation of Egypt to the king was Amenophis, but this man says it was Ritifantes. As to the numbers of the multitude that were expelled, they agreed exceedingly well, the former reckoning them eighty thousand, and the latter about two hundred and fifty thousand. Now for Manetho, he describes those polluted persons as sent first to work in the quarries, and says that the city of Varis was given them for their habitation. As also he relates, that it was not till after they had made war with the rest of the Egyptians that they invited the people of Jerusalem to come to their assistance, while Cherimon says only that they were gone out of Egypt and lighted upon three hundred and eighty thousand men about Pelusium, who had been left there by Amenophis, and so they invaded Egypt with them again, that thereupon Amenophis fled into Ethiopia. But then this Cherimon commits a most ridiculous blunder in not informing us who this army of so many ten thousands were, or whence they came, whether they were native Egyptians, or whether they came from a foreign country. Nor indeed has this man, who forged a dream from Isis about the leprous people, assigned the reason why the king would not bring them into Egypt. Moreover, Cherimon sets down Joseph as driven away at the same time with Moses, who yet died four generations before Moses, which four generations make almost one hundred and seventy years. Besides all this, Ramesses, the son of Amenophis, 
by Manetho's account was a young man, and assisted his father in the war, and left the country at the same time with him, and fled into Ethiopia. But Cheremon makes him to have been born in a certain cave, after his father was dead, and that he then overcame the Jews in battle, and drove them into Syria, being in number about two hundred thousand. Oh, the levity of the man! For he had neither told us who these three hundred and eighty thousand were, nor how the four hundred and thirty thousand perished, whether they fell in war or went over to Ramesses. And what is the strangest of all, it is not possible to learn out of him who they were whom he calls Jews, or to which of these two parties he applies that denomination, whether to the two hundred and fifty thousand leprous people, or the three hundred and eighty thousand that were about Pelusium. But perhaps it will be looked upon as a silly thing in me to make any larger confutation of such writers as sufficiently confute themselves. For had they been only confuted by other men, it had been more tolerable. I shall now add to these accounts about Manetho and Cherimon somewhat about Lysimachus, who hath taken the same topic of falsehood with those forementioned, but hath gone far beyond them in the incredible nature of his forgeries, which plainly demonstrates that he contrived them out of his virulent hatred of our nation. His words are these. The people of the Jews, being leprous and scabby, and subject to certain other kinds of distempers, in the days of Bocoris, king of Egypt, they fled to the temples and got their food there by begging. And as the numbers were very great that were fallen under these diseases, there arose a scarcity in Egypt. Hereupon Bocchihoris, the king of Egypt, sent some to consult the oracle of Jupiter Hamon about his scarcity. The god's answer was this, that he must purge his temples of impure and impious men, by expelling them out of those temples into desert places. But as to the scabby and leprous people, he must drown them and purge his temples, the sun having an indignation at these men being suffered to live, and by this means the land will bring forth its fruits. Upon Bacchorus's having received these oracles, he called for their priests, and the attendants upon their altars, and ordered them to make a collection of the impure people, and to deliver them to the soldiers to carry them away into the desert, but to take the leprous people, and wrap them in sheets of lead, and let them down into the sea. Hereupon the scabby and leprous people were drowned, and the rest were gotten together, and sent into desert places, in order to be exposed to destruction. In this case they assembled themselves together, and took counsel what they should do, and determined that, as the night was coming on, they should kindle fires and lamps, and keep watch, that they also should fast the next night, and propitiate the gods, in order to obtain deliverance from them, that on the next day there was one, Moses, who advised them that they should venture upon a journey, and go along one road till they should come to places fit for habitation, that he charged them to have no kind regards for any man, nor give good counsel to any, but always to advise them for the worst, and to overturn all those temples and altars of the gods they should meet with, that the rest commended what he had said with one consent, and did what they had resolved on, and so travelled over the desert. But that the difficulties of the journey being over, they came to a country inhabited, and that there they abused the men, and plundered and burnt their temples, and then came into the land which is called Judea, and there they built a city, and dwelt therein, and that their city was named Hyrosila. 
from this their robbing of the temples, but that still, upon the success they had afterwards, they in time changed this denomination, that it might not be a reproach to them, and called the city Hierosolima, and themselves Hierosolimites. Now this man did not discover and mention the same king with the others, but feigned a newer name, and passing by the dream and the Egyptian prophet, he brings him to Jupiter Hamon, in order to gain oracles about the Scabian leprous people, for he says that the multitude of Jews were gathered together at the temples. Now it is uncertain whether he ascribes this name to these lepers, or to those that were subject to such diseases among the Jews only, for he describes them as a people of the Jews. What people does he mean, foreigners or those of that country? Why then dost thou call them Jews if they were Egyptians? But if they were foreigners, why dost thou not tell us whence they came? And how could it be that, after the king had drowned many of them in the sea, and ejected the rest into desert places, there should be still so great a multitude remaining? Or after what manner did they pass over the desert, and get the land which we now dwell in, and build our city, and that temple which hath been so famous among all mankind? And besides, he ought to have spoken more about our legislator than by giving us his bare name, and to have informed us of what nation he was, and what parents he was derived from, and to have assigned the reasons why he undertook to make such laws concerning the gods, and concerning matters of injustice with regard to men during that journey. For in that case the people were by birth Egyptians. They would not on the sudden have so easily changed the customs of their country, and in case they had been foreigners, they had for certain some laws or other which had been kept by them from long custom. It is true that with regard to those who had ejected them they might have sworn never to bear good will to them, and might have had a plausible reason for so doing. But if these men resolved to wage an implacable war against all men, in case they had acted as wickedly as he relates of them, and this while they wanted the assistance of all men, this demonstrates a kind of mad conduct indeed, but not of the men themselves, but very greatly so of him that tells such lies about them. He hath also impudence enough to say that a name, implying robbers of the temples, was given to their city, and that this name was afterward changed. The reason of which is plain, that the former name brought reproach and hatred upon them in the times of their posterity while it seems those that built the city thought they did honour to the city by giving it such a name. So we see that this fine fellow had such an unbounded inclination to reproach us, that he did not understand that robbery of temples is not expressed by the same word and name among the Jews as it is among the Greeks. But why should a man say any more to a person who tells such impudent lies? However, since this book is arisen to a competent length, I will make another beginning and endeavour to add what still remains to perfect my design in the following book. End of sections 29 to 35. End of book 1.